Good morning. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Genesis chapter 48. And while you're doing that, tonight again we have a baptism here at 6 o'clock. If you believed in Jesus Christ but not yet been baptized, I want to invite you to come and fulfill the obedience of what Jesus said to do. Not for salvation, but for obedience. It's interesting to me that God used water to separate so many things in the Bible. He used water to separate the continents. He used water to separate the children of Israel when they had been in Egypt for 400 years. As they went into the, on their way to the promised land, they passed through the Red Sea. And in that water, Pharaoh's army was destroyed. Then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they refused to believe God. And then they passed through the Jordan River as they went into the promised land. God used water in the Bible to separate. And I believe this is one of the things that God does is separating us from our past And he uses something symbolically like water. And so I want to just invite you to come tonight if you've not been baptized. And for those that are being baptized, I just want to invite you to, once again, wear a swimsuit or whatever. T-shirt is really good or whatever you're comfortable in to kind of cover up a little bit. And uh, we're going to be doing some worship songs and just gathering. If you've already been baptized, I want you to know you're invited to come too and share in the joy of this. And so uh, we'll have some chairs in the other room and you can sit and watch. And so I think it's going to be a good time. I think there's about 25 people or 30 or so getting baptized tonight. So I want to just invite you to come and, and you'll be blessed by that. And this is just on the verge of feedback. Okay, it's good. Like I always tell people, Peter never had this problem. He just stood up on a rock and it was good. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, we're looking at Genesis chapter 48. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we just ask you that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through it. Give us that anointing, that wisdom that comes from you, that this would not be just ink on paper, but God, that by your Holy Spirit, these things were written, and it's by your Spirit that they go into our heart and become meaningful. And so now we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been going through the book of Genesis, we've been looking at the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That out of you, God says, the whole world is going to be blessed. Speaking of Jesus Christ and the lineage that God would bring forth through the promises that he made to Abraham. We remember that uh, Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, 20 pieces of silver, ends up in a foreign culture down in the land of Egypt where he becomes a slave. And there in in his slavery, uh, Potiphar's wife makes a move on him. She screams rape, but it was really her that did it. Potiphar, no doubt, trying to save face, put Joseph in prison rather than having him executed. And we remember that the butler and the baker, those two people that were right alongside Pharaoh, were put in prison with him. And there they both had a dream. They were sad when Joseph came in in the morning and said, what troubles you? And they said, well, we both had a dream. We don't know what it means. And so Joseph interprets the dream for the butler 
and then the dream for the baker. And sure as it was, exactly what it said happened. Well, years later, Pharaoh had a dream and no one could interpret it. And we remember that the butler said, you know, when I was in prison a few years back, I had a dream and and this man that was in prison told me what it meant. Pharaoh said, send for him immediately. So he brings, he brings him out of prison and he tells him the dream. And he said, well, Pharaoh, God has shown you what's about to happen. There's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. What you need to do right now is start storing up the, the, the food while there's plenty. So when the famine comes, you'll have enough to go around. Well, we remember exactly what had happened. Pharaoh said, where can I find somebody in whom the wisdom of the gods dwell? You be my prime minister. He went from prison to prime minister in a day. But that's the way God works. When God works in our lives, he works very quickly and he works very effectively. Now, not only did through that interpretation of that dream and God promoting Joseph to prime minister of Egypt, he protected his family when down the several years later, here comes his straggly brothers. Yes, the very ones that sold him into slavery come begging bread. They didn't recognize Joseph. He had all the Egyptian garb on. As soon as he saw him, he spoke through an interpreter to them. So they remained thinking he was Egyptian. He played a little bit of game with them until finally he revealed who he was. And he said, God did this. I know you meant it for my harm, but God turned around, made it for my good. You intended to harm me by selling me into slavery. You wanted to kill me, but God used this to preserve all of us in this great famine. But not only did God do that, he brought the children of Israel down into Egypt to the land of Goshen for several reasons. One, It was a fertile land. The famine wasn't yet over and God protected them from intermarrying with pagans. Now again, Jacob, Joseph's uncle, married two Hittite women who drug his heart away from God. This is a problem even today, friends. This is not an unusual thing. It happens today. That's why we need to be very careful with the company we keep. You marry people you know. You go out on a Friday and a Saturday night and a Sunday afternoon with people you know. So again, Solomon says, evil company corrupts good manners. So be careful of the company you keep. Pick good friends. Those that love God the way you do. Now, we find the family of Egypt, the the family of Joseph, all coming down to Egypt. Joseph, if you read in the preceding chapter, verse uh, chapter 47, Joseph had prepared a place for them to come. Why is that significant? Well, let's look at chapter 48, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things. And when I saw this, I immediately thought of something. And any of you that study your Bibles, this is going to ring a bell in Revelation chapter 7. Why is that? Jesus said, it's good that I go to the Father. In fact, in John 14, Jesus said, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go... 
I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you're going to be also. God has prepared a place for all of us who love him, that are called by his name in heaven forever. That's great news, everyone. God has prepared a place for you. Interestingly enough, as we've been studying the life of Joseph... You'll find he is a Christ type. Interestingly enough, he was rejected by his brothers and sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus Christ was rejected by his brethren and sold for 30 pieces of silver. We remember that Jesus became a slave for you and me. He took on him... Our iniquities, our sins, all of our wrongdoing. The Bible tells us in Isaiah that upon him, God placed the iniquities of us all. Why did he do that? Because we can't carry the weight, everyone. That's why if you've got a problem drinking, you've got a problem getting loaded and stoned, I'll tell you, that is a symptom that is not the problem. See, we're good at treating symptoms. We're terrible at problems, aren't we? The symptom is the drinking. But why do you drink? There's an old joke years ago. Why do elephants drink? They want to forget. Well, what is the point? The reason is we try to escape from our past. Our past is what's killing us. Jesus took the weight of our past on him and the present and the future. Now, I think that's some great news. Because he did this, it frees you and me up to be who we're supposed to be, who God put us on this earth for, not to just exist, and even as a Christian to exist until, well, we die and there's apple pie and the sweet by and by. No, God has a reason that we're here. But we'll never know that reason if we're burdened down by our past. How do we deal with our past? Well, you can look at a lot of people in the world today, how they do it. Some just stay so preoccupied, they don't think about life. Some work so hard, they they just bury themselves in work. They never take a day off. Others are so lazy, they just try to escape with pleasure. Some try to escape in a bong. Some try to escape in a six-pack. But when you come back to reality, your problems are there still, And oftentimes even more than they were when you left. Joseph went and prepared a place for his family to come while the world was going through the greatest known famine at that time that the world had known. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in heaven And here we find, after these things, you say, well, what's that got to do with anything? Revelation chapter 2 and 3 in the Bible deal with the age and the churches, the age of the church and the churches. And then it says in chapter 4, verse 1, after these things. What things? The things of the church. When those things are over, we find the church in heaven. After these things... All the things that Joseph had been through, all the things that Jacob, his father, his brothers had been through, after all these things, 
that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick, and took him to his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. After these things, well, we move on with the story. They're now in the land of Goshen. There's still a number of years yet of the famine. They were taken care of. God was going to take care of them there. And so he brings them down. Now, you got to remember, Jacob had not met Ephraim and Manasseh. This is Joseph's two sons that he'd never met. Because, you see, his Ratfink brothers told their dad after they had sold him into slavery they dipped his coat of many colors in some animal blood and ripped it all up and said look dad I guess an animal must have eaten your son the bible says that Joseph was grieved in his heart for decades can you imagine the brothers all coming in time of dinner or whatever they get together maybe on the on the sabbath and they were all together eating dinner and here's Joseph Jacob's heart's breaking for his son uh, Joseph that had been killed by the animal and all 11 brothers or maybe I should say 10 I don't think Benjamin was in on it All the other brothers were all in there kind of looking at each other as they saw their dad in grief, and they just let him stay in the grief. Man, I'll tell you, these guys are some pretty hard-hearted people. And by the way, if you've been coming on Sunday morning here, as we went through where Joseph was playing with his brothers, he would put a, a golden goblet in their sack of grain as they were on their way back to Israel, and then he'd have the Egyptian police go out saying, Our master's cup is gone. We believe you took it. Oh, we never took it. And they opened up the sacks of grain and here it was. Oh man, they knew they were in trouble. And so Joseph played with them for a while. I think to, I don't think to get even, but to get a confession out of them. So now finally his father, him are reunited. That He realizes that his son is not dead, but now prime minister of Egypt. And so Joseph's two sons are brought in. And Jacob said, and Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. Israel strengthened himself and sat up in bed. Now he's very old at this point. And um, again, um, for anybody here getting old is a drag. I don't know. Do I hear an Amen. You know, and you, listen, <laughs> you don't have to be old to feel it. I talked to friends that I knew that were in, uh, 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 they're in high school, were in high school, and they're now in their 30s, and their old injuries that they got when they were in high school now are starting to flare up. <laughs> I go, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's weird. With the older you get, the more things don't work. You know, you used to have muscles that would be on top. Now they're hanging down here. And you think, how does this work? There I was, minding my own business and had a heart attack. There you were, minding your own business. And now all of a sudden something doesn't work the way it used to. And you start finding words that you really didn't care about in your 30s and 40s, like arthritis. You heard that word? Nasty stuff, isn't it? Well, this is part of getting old. Now, it isn't that God doesn't love you if you get old. It's part of being 
Our bodies, friends, are under a curse. The day you eat of the tree is the day you surely die, and man has been dying ever since. Don't get angry with God because we inherited a body that's under a curse. But the good news is we're going to get a new body, not under the curse, that will never break, never get arthritis. All the things that are wrong in our bodies right now, God's going to fix someday. And you're going to get a brand new body. I look forward to that. Paul says in Corinthians and also in Thessalonians, about the rapture. Now the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible. It's the word harpazo in the Greek, which means the great caught up. Paul says in a moment, twinkling of an eye will be changed. This corruption will put on incorruption. The Bible says the dead in Christ rise first. They get their new bodies because they're going to rule and reign with Christ on this earth for a thousand years. They need a tangible body to do that, just like Jesus when he appeared to the disciples in the upper room and other places after he rose from the dead. He wasn't a phantom. He wasn't a ghost. He offered Thomas to put the fingers in the holes in his hand, thrust his hand in his side. It was a real tangible body, but yet it was a different body than ours because it could vanish out of their sight. As he did with the two on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples, as he appeared to the disciples behind locked doors, and yet he could still eat food. And that's good. I like the food thing. I really do. Delight yourself in fatness, fatness. I can't wait. Well, the point is simply this you get a new body. In a moment, twinkling of an eye, this corruption will put on incorruption. The Bible says the dead in Christ rise. Now, I believe, once again, everyone, absent in the body, present with the Lord. I don't believe in soul sleep. It's very clear in the scripture. I know there's a lot of cults out there that believe in this. We remember Jarius's daughter. He was a leader, came to Jesus. And he said, will you come pray for my daughter, Jesus? She's very ill. And while Jesus is talking... To Darius, a servant of his comes and says, don't trouble the master, your daughter has died. And, you know, I, 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 the one thing I like about Jesus, he was never rattled by circumstances. He goes, well, let's go anyway. So he goes with Jarius. The mourners are already out. So she must have been dead for at least a few hours for the mourners to come. And they're all through, oh, gloom, despair, agony on me. Whoa, you know, kind of thing. And he put them all out. And Jesus went in. In fact, Jesus said she's only sleeping. And that's true. Her body was. Her spirit had left, it says. They laughed him to scorn. And you know what Jesus did? All those that laughed at him, he took out of the room. By the way, you don't want to see a miracle of God. You want to make fun of the miracles of God. You won't see him. He took them, put him out of the room, and he brought in his disciples instead. And he looked at the little girl and he said, daughter, arise. I like that. It wasn't some incantation. It wasn't shaking, you know, smoke over her head or, you know, flipping holy water on her. He just looked at her and said, daughter, arise. The Bible says her spirit returned to her. Very important. Does not say her spirit woke up. Her spirit returned to her. 
Thus, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Paul says, I'm torn between the two, whether to go be the Lord or remain here with you. Follows 100%. In the Old Testament, Elijah, uh, in 1 Kings, prayed for a little boy who was dead. The Bible says, interestingly, the same thing. Old Testament or new, it says, his spirit returned to him. Well, his spirit comes back. Her spirit comes back. And so now we find they're, they're, they're living. And, and this is what I really love about God's word is that we can go to it for everything that we need. When we look at the entirety of God's word, realizing we're going to need a new body, God's going to give us one of those, thank the Lord, real soon. Joseph is old. He's near death. He props himself up when he hears that Joseph is coming to see him. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Lutz or Bethel in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an inheritance, everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Now this is interesting here. Because really, when you stop to look at this, this is where Jacob adopts Joseph's two sons as a tribe of Israel. So really, when you look at it, there was like 13 of of, of the children of Israel because he adopted these two in this statement right here. And in fact, by the way, uh, as he blesses them here, uh, he lays his hand on Manasseh and his hand on Ephraim. But he put his right hand on Ephraim and the right hand was the powerful hand. And so as we'll read here, Joseph gets upset over that. He goes, no, 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 no. Uh, 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 Manasseh is the older one. And he goes, no. And he blesses Ephraim. Ephraim is the one that, that really is reflective of a lot of the northern tribe of Israel. But we'll get into that at another time. But he said, he said, your offspring whom you beget after them shall be yours. And they will be called by the name of your brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way. Then when there was a, a little distance to go to Ephrath, I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's son and said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel or Jacob were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them to him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought 
to see your face literally ever again. I thought you were dead, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring or my grandchildren. He goes, I thought you were dead. You see, again, going back, his brothers lied to him for decades that Joseph was dead. And in fact, he was alive And he said, I wrote you off. And now not only did I get to see you again, I get to see my grandsons. Now, you say, why is that important? Let's go back one chapter real quick. And I'll just read this. You don't have to, but I'll read this. This is out of uh, chapter 47, verse 9. It says, and Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days and the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. Wow. He was saying here that I've had a lot of bad in my life. You know, it's interesting when we think about that. I've had a lot of bad in my life. You think about that and maybe your own self. You might look at your own life in a little bit of retrospect and say, well, man, I've had a lot of really bad junk In fact, I don't even think God loves me because of all the bad junk that's happened in my life. But God's not limited by those things, friends. And and again, what we oftentimes think is so terrible, a lot of times is the very thing that either is a ministry for other people or God protecting you and me from the evils that we could get ourselves into if God didn't allow the things to happen to us that have happened to us. I've had people tell me that. They said, you know, last Friday night, me and my high school friends, we all went out partying and the cops pulled us over and found a a bunch of booze in the car and let them all go. And I was the one that was thrown in jail and I wasn't even the one drinking. Sound familiar at all? Why'd that happen? Because you see, you belong to God. And because you belong to God, God deals with you as a son. Those aren't his kids. But when you're his kid, he will deal with you. And sometimes the chastisement of the Lord is painful at the time, but in the end, it will bring forth the fruit of righteousness that God desires in our life. That's the way God works. The whole world can get by with all kinds of stuff. But you're the one that's going to get caught. God doesn't love me. No, that's why you got caught. It's because God does love you. He loves you too much to let you get ripped off by the world. And no chastisement at the time is pleasant. But in the end, God uses that to refine us for the next level of where God is and how he's going to use us in the days to come. Now, again, that can be a terror. Man, God, if what I'm going through right now is preparing me for the days to come, I'm scared of the days to come. You can't be because nobody knows the future and people in the world also endure problems. That doesn't exempt them. But the difference between you is because you're a child of God, God will use your life to bless others. But remember, if you go through something that's hard, it may be that God will use those things to advance this kingdom through you, through your, through your, your issue in your life that's so rough, 
Or it may be God's protecting you from things that if everything went your way, you would destroy yourself. Well, you know, God, I went down and bought a lottery ticket. I didn't win. <laughs> it's like the old story. This is, it's like, guy gets to heaven, God, why didn't you ever let me win the lottery? And he says, you never bought a ticket. No, that is not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that a lot of times we can put ourselves in places that will create temptation that we're not built for. Do you know what I'm talking about? You say, man, God, I just wish I was better looking, or I just wish I was this, or I just wish I was that. And you know what? If God had put you in another body and a different financial atmosphere, we might be completely free to destroy our lives. And so we have to be very careful when we begin to challenge God and say, well, God, why have you made me like this? God says, I put you like this for a reason. You are my child. And you know, I just sometimes just got to say, okay, Lord, I'll accept that. Here you find Joseph standing before Jacob, his father, with his two grandsons, now being postured to bless them. Now, friends, again, I believe, moms, dads, there's a lot that you do with your children to either bless them or to curse them. Now, that doesn't mean that you never tell them no. It doesn't mean you never spank them. It doesn't mean you don't correct them. But the thing is, we want to be a blessing to our kids. And I've had this said oftentimes. In fact, this goes back to the story. Some of you remember a man had two sons. His younger son came to his dad and said, Dad, I want to go off to the big city. I want to be free and funky. I want to be funky and free. Give me my portion of the farm right now. Some of you know the story of the prodigal son. And his dad said, okay, so he gave him a portion of the farm. The Bible says the younger son went off partying down, did all these things, wasted, the Bible says in the old King James, wasted his inheritance on riotous living. He was a party hardy. And so he ends up eating the only job he could get in this foreign land was eating with the pigs. Now, for a Jew boy to be eating with the pigs, you are at the bottom. And he came to his senses and he said, you know, my dad's servants are treated better than I am here. I'll go home. Maybe my dad will just hire me as a hired hand around the farm. And so he comes home. And the Bible says his father saw him a long way off. That's very significant to me. Because it tells me if he saw him a far way off, that means his dad was looking for something a long way off. And there he was. Here comes his son. And the Bible says he came and wrapped his robe around him, put a ring on his finger, hugged him by the neck, welcomed him back. Killed the fatted calf, had a big party for him. The older son comes up and says, what's all this? 
He goes, well, your son, your, your brother who, who was in the world has come back. Oh, is that all? You never had a party for me and my friends. He was jealous. Now, a couple things. One, that's what they would do in those days. Parents, as you get older and you want to know what your kids are going to do with their inheritance when you kick off. I remember one time years ago, I was so young, so naive. I was working for NCR. They hired me. I was setting in as they were signing me all up for the job. And they said, now, in case of your demise, who is your beneficiary? And I said, what does that mean? And she looked at me and she says, if you croak, who gets your coin? Oh, I know what that means. Well, when it comes time for you to die, it's going to be too late. It's better to entrust your children with some of the inheritance and see what they do with it. You know, if, you're, if they're going to inherit your whole place, you better just try them with a little bit of money. If they spend the 10 grand you give them partying down every night, you know that if you die and they end up with your estate, they'll party themselves till they're dead. Do you realize the inheritance, moms and dads, you might give your kids may be the very thing that will kill them? So it's a wise thing to try and see what your children do with resource. This is what happened with the younger son. The father looks at the older son and says, don't you understand? Don't you know who you are? The whole farm is yours. He forgot who he was. And he was too busy being jealous about his brother's party and the fatted calf. He said, you need to, you need to rejoice that your brother who is dead is now alive. You see, we can major major on the minor, minor on the majors, and this is one of the problems. And so the blessing that you bestow upon your children in encouragements, if all you ever say to your children, everything they do is wrong, 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 you're just going to beat them down. But when they do good, tell them they do good. And regardless of no matter how they do, you always tell them that you love them. And you pick them up. You don't just, well, I love you. You, know, you. you pick them up and put them on your lap and hug them and bless them. Because they're going to remember that long when you're gone. And they're going to remember. And I pray that if you're a Christian family here today, you pray with your kids. We pray Almost, we try to make it a habit almost every night to pray with our kids. Every night. Pray with them. And even though they pray some of the goofiest prayers from God heal my cat or find my cat, it doesn't matter because they're taking, you're training them to take their troubles to the Lord and leave them there. And those are one of the things that we do. And pretty soon you'll start hearing them say things like, thank you for mommy or thank you for daddy or thank you for my brother or my sister. And you begin to realize that the love of God is being conveyed to them. So important. You bestow moms and dad a blessing to your kids. This is exactly what Jacob was doing to his son and to his grandsons. And so it says, and Israel said to Joseph, I had not only thought to see your face, but in fact, God 
has shown me your offering, offspring. So verse 12, so Joseph brought, brought them from beside his knees and he bowed his face to the earth. Now, by the way, this is Joseph, prime minister of Egypt, still showing his parent great homage and respect. Very important. Then Israel... Excuse me, verse 13. So Joseph took both Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near to him. Then Israel stretched out, or Jacob stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger and left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who fed me all the years of my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named among them and my name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, let them grow into a multitude um, in the midst of the earth. By the way, we remember, as I shared last week, when they came down from the land of Canaan, down to the land of Goshen, there was about 70 of them. 400 years later, 2 million left. Wow. Talk about being blessed. Now, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took a hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become people, and he shall be great, but truly the younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, shall bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he said, Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel or Jacob said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above the brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. He's saying, I'm, I'm, you, you get the super blessing, is what he said. Now, chapter 49, which we're not going to be able to get into today, but I just want to read the first verse. And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what will befall you in the last days. Wow. Now, again, remember, when Hebrews read the scripture, obviously, what is it saying? What is the spiritual application And what is the prophetic or the future application? Next time we get into this in chapter 49, we're going to look at that. Now, next week, Frank Zontag will be with us. Again, pastor and um, great guy. 
I'll have the opportunity to introduce him here with everybody. And uh, again, when we look at these things in the Bible, God's got a plan. And these that we read about are how we live our lives as Christians. Not just apple pie again in the sweet by and by with some alamode, but no, God has a way that we then should live. And these things are spelled out for us that just as Jesus went to prepare a place for us, Joseph, a Christ type in the Bible, went and prepared a place for his brethren to come and live with him. Revelation, we have the age of the church. When the age of the church is over, come and I will show you what must be after these things. The exact same phraseology that you find in chapter 48, verse 1, you find in Revelation chapter 4. After the age of the church, I'll show you what must be after the age of the church, where in the place that God prepared for us in heaven. Question, are you prepared to go there. Now again, that's your decision. God loves you. God loves you so much, he lets you make the decisions of what you want to do. And by the way, just because God ultimately knows the decisions we all make, the Bible says in Revelation 22, he's Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and last, he lives in all times present. I don't know anything like that, but he does. That's why the Bible says we're predestinated. But we're only predestinated in that God knows the outcome. It does not change any one of our decisions. You're at complete freedom to either choose God or reject God. Now, first question. What are you living your life for? For yourself? Are you, are you doing everything you want to do? Only to find at the end of your life, you spend your life in remorse, the wish I would have, I wish I'd done this, wish I'd done that. But when we accept Christ as our Savior, we're brought his business, God, whatever time I've got left, and whether you're a teenager or whether you're in your 80s, it doesn't make any difference because whatever time we have left, God will use to influence others for his kingdom. You would think the thief on the cross would have been over and done with, and yet when Jesus looked at him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise, I think that's one of the most astounding things because it tells all of us it's never too late to receive Christ. But what a waste. Just think, he didn't have much laid up for him in heaven. And that's what I want to see all of you have. If it is a reward for you in heaven. Jesus said that. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Why did he say it if it wasn't possible? Now, I don't know what treasure in heaven is when the streets are paved with gold. I don't know what a treasure would be. But the Bible says if you've been faithful over little, he'll make you faithful over much. So I think about that and I go, wow, that makes sense. I mean, if you have a company... Uh, you, do you promote the person that lays around all the... Well, I know some people do. But do you... Do you the boss's son. Uh, no, do, do, you, do you promote an underachiever or do you promote the overachiever? No, you're going to promote the overachiever. So I don't know. The Bible tells us when Jesus hands out the reward system, some are made master over many cities and some over none. I just, I don't know all that rewards are in heaven, but I do know this. You'll be glad when you get to heaven that you're getting some. 
I've had people say, well, if I just get to heaven by the skin of my teeth, I'll be happy. Well, what a way to go. No, you want to go where the Lord looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You, you want to go there where not only are you blessed, but the Father is proud of you for what you did for him. It's really important. So, what are you living your life for? That's what I always like to ask people. Next question I like to ask people. Do you want 10 more years like you just had? Or is it time for a change? You know, I said that one time in a service, and a woman came up, almost ran up the aisle, and she says, I don't want another week like I've just had. Because it's meaningless. It's empty. This morning, I I just want to ask you, why are you living your life? Do you want another 10 years like you just have? Third question, what are you holding on that's so important that you can't give your life to God? Because you've got to remember, you're giving to God something that you can't keep for something you will never lose. That's pretty neat. That's a good trade, by the way, business-wise. Get rid of something you can't keep to get something you can't lose. That's good. That's a good investment. This morning, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, the Bible says to repent. What does that mean? That simply means, God, I've wasted my life. And so from this day on, I'm turning it over to you. Now, what blocks the communication between us and God is our sin. But the Bible says Jesus took our sin upon himself, which we could not do so that we could be reconciled to the Father. In other words, we can be called his kid. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father which art in heaven. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to reconcile us to the Father. That what was lost in the Garden of Eden, where God would come and walk with men in the cool of the evening. Now God is once again saying, I want to have fellowship with you. Do you know God digs talking to you? You might say, nobody likes talking to me. No, God likes talking to you. He's got a lot of things he wants to tell us. I found that if in my prayer life, if I'll shut up a little bit while I pray, God will tell me things. A lot of times I like to just tell God a lot of things he already knows. I feel better when I do that. But God says, why don't you now... Let me tell you what I want. And the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. It was in the still, small voice that Elijah heard God's voice. It wasn't in the mountains tearing apart. It wasn't in the wind ripping the rocks out of the side of the mountain. It was in the still, small voice. Go back and just say, okay, Lord, when I pray, when I'm driving, turn the radio off and just listen to what God might say. And God will begin to bring people to your mind, thoughts, even things that are really important, like a bill you forgot to pay or something that you paid for that you didn't pick up. It's still sitting there at the store. That has happened to me several times. You know, they have a deal. You buy the oil filters and they have to order them and you pay for them and then you forget about it. And three weeks later, you're praying and all of a sudden, oh God, Speak to me thy great words. And God says, oil filters. 
hey, I forgot to get those. You call on the phone. They go, yeah, we got them here for you. We wondered what happened to you. But they didn't call me telling me. God called me and told me. It's really amazing what God does. Hey, he is your best. He's your best uh, uh, daily planner, man. So if you're not a Christian, you want to get right with God, we're going to pray. And you can ask Jesus to forgive your sins. He died on the cross for you in your place because he loves you. And you can ask God to come in your life today. You can be baptized tonight and let God do something brand new in your life. If you're not right with God, you knew God maybe years ago. You'd go to Sunday school and for some miraculous reason, you're listening to this today. God wants you to come home to him today. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I'm sorry I have lived my life my way. And I'm not happy. So I repent. And I ask you from this day forward to be my Lord and Savior. I believe you died on the cross for me. And your blood covered my sins. And so now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me with that love for loving those that don't know you. And loving you more. And so, God, I commit my life now into your hands. Thank you for eternal life. I spend eternity with you. And may you use my life to bless those and bring people closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.